This is Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Today, we are speaking with staff members of the Pennsylvania Prison Society, founded way back in 1787 in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. They are John Hargraves and Kirsten Cornell. John's interview with us earlier, where he went over a little bit about his his uh, position at the society, is on the air now, and it is January 3rd that it was posted. So if you want to go back and refresh your memory a little bit, uh, please, please do so. Um, so today, though, John and Kirsten are going to have a chance to tell us more in depth about what they do at the Pennsylvania Prison Society. Welcome, John. Good Thank to have you here. here. All right, before, before we uh, begin, I wanted to read a little bit about your uh, position, that you know, a little bio that you gave me. Um, you are the volunteer director of the Prison Society, a position you've held for 15 years, and you oversee a cadre of about 300 volunteers. You have a master's in criminology and a bachelor's in psychology. So I wanted just to alert people there about that. And why don't you begin by briefly telling us a, t a little bit about the mission of the Pennsylvania uh, Prison Society. Thank you. Uh, we're a unique organization in that our mission is a humane and just criminal justice system. And we're protected by a state law, which is unique in this country, that allows our citizens organizations to go to the state and county prisons in Pennsylvania and ask to see an incarcerated person and the prison must let us in. So as I say, that's not widespread at all in the United States. And we're very lucky to have that law in Pennsylvania for the last 200 plus years. Amazing. And who, who, um, who put that uh, law into place since it was so long ago? Well, the first prisons in Pennsylvania were in Philadelphia, and there was a group of citizens' organizations, largely Quakers and Episcopalians, Ben Franklin, Ben Rush, some others, who thought there should be somebody that could go into these prisons and talk to the people that were incarcerated to be sure that they're being treated fairly and to be sure that it's a transparent system. What a shame that we don't have that in every one of the 50 states. I, I think um, that would be sensational. So you have been a part of this prison society for a very, very long time, first as a volunteer and now as a staff member. How did you become interested in this nonprofit organization to begin with? Well, as you mentioned earlier, I'm trained as a criminologist and people in my congregation had put up our church building as a use for bailing people out of prison. So when the prison society was active in central Pennsylvania, our minister thought we should become active with the Pennsylvania Prison Society, both as a congregation and to empower other citizens in central Pennsylvania. So he started the chapter in conjunction with our local bail program, woman that ran that, a volunteer bail program. And because I was a member of the congregation with some criminal 
uh, justice background. He thought I should be a, one of the leaders of the group. And that was low 45 years or so ago. So we've been doing it in central Pennsylvania since then. I should say that Pennsylvania has a county prison where the men and women are held briefly less than two years of about a thousand people. And right across the river, there's a state prison where there are roughly 2,500 people and everybody's incarcerated for two years or longer. So we got an active hotbed of uh, prisons in central Pennsylvania. That you do. Um, now, what did you do as a volunteer years ago that differs from what you are doing right now? Well, I supervise people now. As a volunteer, I just worked with the incarcerated population and saw to their needs. Now I manage people that do that across the state. As you mentioned, we have about 300 volunteers. We have roughly 85 correctional institutions in Pennsylvania both state and county prisons. And we, try, we do get people into all the state prisons of which there are 25, and we get them into most of the 63 county prisons, although not all. Mm -hmm. So you now, as you say, oversee this huge group. It's pretty amazing to me. Um, what specifically is your job with all those people that you probably have to kind of keep track of? I do have to keep track of them. <laughs> you don't follow them around though, right? <laughs> so how do you do that? Well, it's, it's a number of steps involved. First, people apply to be, become a visitor with us. and They do have a background check to see what their motivation is. There's a criminal background check. Once they supply some references and they seem to be upstanding citizens, we give them a little bit of on-the-job training in that we do not permit people to go into prisons for the first time alone. They go with another trained volunteer. and We have a volunteer handbook they read before they go. And we do these couple of visits first. Then if we feel comfortable about the new volunteer, we let them do some individual visits. Part of my job is to take a lot of the people in the central Pennsylvania into the state prison or the county prison to see that they are comfortable and know how we operate. And I also do a lot of troubleshooting when people across the state do not know what the next step is or no, want to know some resources. I can help out with that because I've been doing this, as you say, for a while. And I try to keep people motivated too. You know, some people can get a little burned out or disenchanted with what they're seeing inside prisons. It's a, it's a grim atmosphere. It's loud, dirty, and they need a little uh, goosing now. And then I'm happy mm -hmm. to supply that because it's important work that we do. do. Do most people who begin stay with volunteering? They cycle in and out. It's kind of interesting. Some people will volunteer for five or 10 years and they think mm -hmm. they need a break. Maybe they're a little burned out and they take some time off. And then they come back a few years later and give it another shot. That's not at all unusual. Right. They need some breathing room. Understood. Um, years ago, back in 2005, um, when we lived in upstate New York, I didn't know there was a men's maximum uh, prison right around the corner from my house, literally three miles. And I decided to apply there to volunteer to teach. 
but uh, they were not uh, very open to my coming at all. Um, and it took me a year to get get in. And then, you know, everything went went pretty smoothly. Um, so in Pennsylvania, because this society has been around so long, the attitude, what I wonder is, what is the attitude of the Department of Corrections towards all these volunteers? Well, it's actually, it's a good question. Most of the volunteers that go into prisons in Pennsylvania and elsewhere, I'm sure, are there for religious reasons. Oh. They want their want to share the word of God or the, their particular religion, whichever it may be, with the people that are incarcerated who may ask for that. We have, are a secular organization, so we do not do religious work, which makes it a, somewhat of a challenge for people that want to apply to do prison society work because a lot do come from religious backgrounds and want to do religious works, which we cannot permit in our name. But we do get a lot of religious groups that ask to go in. And if they put aside their motivation to do religious work, but work directly with the uh, incarcerated and help they need, then we welcome them. And they do great jobs, too. So we just don't welcome the religious folks that only can do that. A lot of people are motivated by having somebody they know incarcerated. And they think that they should be able to help these people out we do not permit them to visit their friends and family as a prison society visitor. But in Pennsylvania, we have 80,000 people behind bars. So there's no shortage of people that can use a visit. And we send them in those directions. Wow, that's incredible. Now, back to the religious uh, groups. I noticed that um, myself a great, great deal. I, I wasn't allowed to bring anything with me inside, but I often saw people with Bibles. And that was, of course, permitted. Um, so if they if they want to do Bible study with the men or women, under whose umbrella do they, are they allowed in? Not, not under you, you say? Not under us, but almost every large prison has a chaplain's office, reaches oh. out to religious volunteers and will welcome them. Although I will point out that Bibles are no longer welcome in prisons since no. uh, COVID hit. And there are a lot of uh, drugs, in, particularly in Pennsylvania prisons, that are in books and letters and pictures. So none of that is allowed to be directly go into prisons. If you want to have a religious tract to use in your Bible study class, then you must send that to the prison where it will be duplicated and then given out. So it doesn't come from the original source. Right. So um, now what I, now that that's clear, um, what, given that religion is not a part of these volunteer visits, um, what generally goes on at a visit? Is there you know, a specific um, kind of pattern to the visits or, or not really? Actually, as I tell the new volunteers, it's an amazingly easy interview process to go into a prison. One simply needs to walk in and meet with the prisoner and say, uh, they generally have been in contact with us previously asking for this visit. And we generally just say, so what's going on in your life, in your situation? And literally, the person will talk for the next 20 or 30 <laughs> minutes, sharing their story, which are, you know, 
is interesting and fascinating and frequently grim. True, true. Um, so it's it's more of a friend to listen, an ear, right? Yes. Um, especially, especially for those who, who do not get any visitors, and there are plenty of them, right? There are. Actually, I was at a state prison recently where I hadn't been for a while, and a incarcerated person had written us a letter asking for a visit. I had no idea why he wanted to see somebody from the prison society. But since I had some time and I was doing some other work at that prison, I asked that he be brought out so I could sit with him in the visiting room. And I asked him you know, quite upfront why he wanted to see somebody from the prison society. And he told me, oh, frankly, I've been here seven years. The only people I see are the employees and the other incarcerated people. I've never seen anybody from the outside. So I thought I'd be able to talk to somebody who's not invested in the prison system. And we had a fine chat for about 20 minutes about what was going on in his life. But imagine that, seven years and the first time in the visiting room. Yeah, that's, that's always sad. And I, I met um, the men I visited um, were from my class. I had stopped teaching. And I would assume that the rules are the same in your state as New York. If you're volunteering, you can't visit, meaning volunteering in a different capacity, like I was a, a teacher. Um, but once I finished four years of that, um, I thought it was time to do something else. And, and I visited. So there were six men, and most of them had never had a visit in years, decades. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. so lonely. So what a wonderful, wonderful gift. Um, I really can relate to it because um, I did it for, I'd say, maybe nine or ten years. So I know. Great. Now, I, are, is there is there um, uh, I'm comparing um, to New York? Is there a time limit on the visits? Because you said 20 minutes. Is, are they that restricted? They're, they're not restricted. Two hours is usually the time limit per person. Okay. And I should back up a little bit and say most of what we do when we visit at the prisons is not a social visit, but rather responding to a request where somebody wants specific help. Oh. These come, well, our top three right now are number one, medical concerns. Mm -hmm. In Pennsylvania, we have an aging prison population. In fact, we have a whole prison that's basically a hospital or people that need dialysis or heart-lung machines or in wheelchairs. Because in Pennsylvania, we have a kind of a sad law uh, where we have lifers, which means you're in prison until you die. Life means life in Pennsylvania. The That's only right. way you're getting out is by a commutation from the parole board or the commutation board. And there's only doing about six a year so we have 5,500 lifers in Pennsylvania, and that now means 5,500 older men and older women who need hospice, who need hospitalization, who need increased medical care. So we are asked to check up on their medical conditions and advocate for them with the prison when they feel their inadequate care is hurting their health. If, if people like that, the lifers who are ill, who are aging, if they don't ask for a volunteer, um, would you provide one or it's only when someone asks you? Only when someone asks us. As I mentioned, we have 5,500 lifers and 300 volunteers. 
So right. and 80,000 incarcerated people. So we certainly don't get near as many, we don't see near as many uh, people that are locked up as we possibly could had more volunteers. Yeah, I'll go on to uh, mention the second two concerns after medical. Right. Number two is families. They haven't heard from their loved one for whatever reason. Frequently when an inmate misbehaves, they're put in a restricted housing unit, solitary confinement, and they lose a lot of their communication privileges in there, which means they don't have a phone. And they, so they can't call their family to let them know they're in solitary confinement. And the families don't hear from their incarcerated loved one. They ask us to find out what's going on. And for us to find out what's going on, it frequently means going to the prison, asking to see the person. We can see people in solitary and then tell the family the message from he or she and encourage them, the, the prisoner, to get in touch with their family via the mail and let them know what's going on. Hmm. And that's particularly uh, rife in times of COVID because sure. now during this uh, pandemic, families can't visit. For years, the prisons were closed, 18 months. So nobody was going in except a few prison society people. Now, fortunately, the, most of the prisons have reopened to families and they're getting back up to speed but it's been a slow process. And what was the third? You said the third, medical. The third yeah. is helping with the inmate or the uh, prisoner make a transition back to society. They need a parole plan to be granted parole. They need a home plan to go somewhere after they're released. You know, we have a recidivism rate in Pennsylvania and the state prisons of 65%. Wow. That means six and a half out of every 10 Prisoners are going to come back unless they get something stable on the outside. So that's a big part of our emphasis in working with the parole plan and the home plan. Get them out the first time they have parole eligibility or get them out to a stable home environment. That's a big one. I've talked about reentry quite a bit on the, this podcast and will continue to do so. It's a, it's a big, big one. Um, have there ever been any problems with any of your volunteers where say you might have to terminate them? I wish I could say there weren't, but that's not the case. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, when people want to volunteer in a prison situation, they have various motivations. And uh, fortunately we've had some sexual problems over the years where men want to meet women or vice versa. Women want to meet men and they misbehave in some fashion. And uh, we've had some people very occasionally, as I say, I've been doing this 15 years, and we've had maybe three people uh, that were apprehended with some kind of contraband, whether it be uh, usually drugs that maybe they didn't even know they had. Keeping in mind in Pennsylvania, state prisons, they have uh, people that are employed by the prison and frequently dogs that will inspect the cars that are in the parking lot when the person mm -hmm. drives up. So that happens also. And sometimes people don't screen out. You're not allowed to have alcohol or firearms on the property of a state institution. Sure. So those people get turned away also. But other, you know, the percentage is very small. Very correct? low. Yes, yeah. I think, as I said, I think there's been three cases of contraband in 15 years that I've oh, dealt with. Pretty good. Yeah. So we talked about how many people there are who volunteer. How do you keep track uh, of all the volunteers and do they have a responsibility to kind of 
keep in touch with you. We're centralizing that lately. Previously, we did not track much of their visiting. We just asked them to do the visit, and they, they usually told us they did the visit, and that was that. But now we've developed in the last 18 months a centralized reporting form where they tell us the nature of the visit, where they were, what the issue was, how they dealt with it, and whether we need to do any follow-up. So it's a one-page form. It's pretty simple to fill out. It's online. Mm. And we ask that everybody that does a visit in our name fill that out and return it to us. That's great. Um, do you need, the answer is probably yes, do you need more volunteers? 80,000 inmates, <laughs> 300 visitors. Can speak for itself. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I hope maybe people who are listening, maybe not necessarily who are in Pennsylvania, but maybe in other states that it never occurred to them that somebody would appreciate. Yes, Virginia has been trying to get on board and a couple other states are thinking about this. Really? Something similar to what is being done here in PA? I think, I think every state should welcome something like this. Oh, you know, we also provide feedback to the administrators and the superintendents and the county prison boards as to what we find in their institutions. That's valuable information for them. They're getting from a non-employee. So, you know, we don't have a, a prejudice to carry. We will tell them what we see. Right. Um, I, I think, too, uh, from my own experience, it wasn't only um, Greenhaven, which is the prison I taught at. I visited several other prisons, women's prisons in Connecticut, um, in New York, and I found there was a kind of an attitude about the uh, the guards when I came in, um, negative, um, almost like, what are you doing here? Why would you come here? And I did not like that. I had to ignore it and pretend I didn't hear it. Um, do your volunteers ever give you feedback that of something, you know, a similar thing to what I just said? Yes, the line staff does not always welcome us. You know, we're kind of serving as ombuds people. Mm -hmm. So we're reacting to problems, maybe abusive situations. There's been some kind of fight between an employee and a prisoner. And the prisoner has asked us to take their side. And the people that work there know that. So, but we are welcomed by the administrators because we right. are there as a neutral entity to tell them what we believe is going on. That's, that's great. Um, how is your job as a volunteer director rewarding to you? Well, you know, going into a prison and dealing with somebody that's incarcerated and they ask you to do some small thing that's frankly very easy for somebody on the outside to do that's impossible for somebody behind the bars to do. And I can make this small effort on my behalf, taking just a couple of minutes and it makes such a big deal in their lives because something has been accomplished. Let's say you haven't been in touch with your sister because you can't find her for the last seven years. Well, you know, it doesn't take me five minutes to find her, tell her where the prisoner is and get them back in touch. So it's just these small things that people that are locked up appreciate so much. So it's very rewarding in that respect. You're very, very right. And, it, and just, just a visit alone is such a gift to someone inside. I don't think we realize how how very, very important it is. 
So thank you so much, John, for being part of our podcast today and also for the wonderful and fine work you do at the Pennsylvania Prison Society. And please uh, tune in next time where we will meet another staff member from the society. Thanks for listening today. Thank you also. Thank you all. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.